0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast, where you can learn everything you need to know about sustainable and ESG investing from leaders in the field. My name is Paul Ellis, and I'm your host for these programs about developments in this fast-growing industry. Between 2015 and 2020, investor demand doubled the number of sustainable mutual funds and ETFs that are available in the U.S. markets. The trend continued in 2021, with InvestNet reporting higher growth rates for asset flows into sustainability focused products. So, why are only 45% of advisors on the InvestNet platform currently using sustainable and impact investing strategies with their clients? Well, Brett Wayman the Senior Director of Sustainable Investing at InvestNet, is here with us today to talk about that. And Brett's joining me to discuss why advisors need to understand what their clients want, as well as why sustainable investing is so valuable to the advisor-client relationship. Hello, Brett, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast.
1: Hi, Paul. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you could join us today, and I'm looking forward to our discussion. Uh, Let's kick it off by giving our listeners the major reasons why sustainable investing is more accessible today than it was before the COVID-19 pandemic.
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I think there's definitely more emphasis on sustainable investing today, and it's more accessible, yes, but I think it's also more attractive. Uh, More accessible, why is that? Well, There's been just a a tremendous amount of new sustainable investment products that have been launched over the past couple of years. Um, These are mutual funds, ETFs, separate accounts, really across all the different product structures, even looking at some of the private investment, real estate, uh, private equity, private debt, venture capital. And so I think there's just more... Uh, more product out there to be able to buy. Um, That also includes all the the rebrandings and the retrofits we're seeing for investment products. And you're starting to see more of of those uh, hit their three and five-year track records. So we're starting to prove out the case that these are viable investment products. I mean, we have more than 430 of these strategies available on the investment platform. So more accessible, but more attractive, I think, because we're starting to see Uh, the pandemic has really shown us how social and environmental issues can really have a a very quick global impact. I mean, think about how quickly the pandemic became a major social and environmental issue. Um, It's spotlighting how companies treat their workers. We're hearing about things like the great resignation. Uh, So I think investors are starting to look at The way that these companies treat their communities, their stakeholders, beyond just shareholders, Mm. um, as a proxy for how they're dealing with the pandemic and the social issues that go wrong with uh, workers' health rights and, and so on. And then the other thing I think we're seeing is there's always been this hypothesis that ESG is going to provide some downside protection. Um, that it creates these more resilient portfolios by focusing on more of these long-term environmental, social governance factors and trends that if the market did turn, uh, we'd, we'd see stronger performance, stronger downside protection from these ESG strategies. And that's exactly what we saw in March of 2020, right at the beginning of the pandemic. And so you proved out this really valuable hypothesis for a new tool to, uh, to construct more resilient portfolios. So all of those things are happening. But really, I think what we saw is that COVID is coinciding with the maturity of sustainable investing in the industry overall, and those things are just a, a catalyst for continued growth.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. Whether it's coincidental or intentional, at this point, right? What what difference does it make? Because. <laughs> What we're seeing is that these changes are supporting financial advisors, at least that's our target community, in personalizing portfolio strategies to align with client values much more effectively. Uh, And in this process, support an improved advisor-client experience. How is that unfolding with the advisors on your platform?
1: Yeah, we're absolutely seeing it. I mean, you mentioned at the beginning, 45% of only 45% of advisors on <laughs> InvestNet are, are using sustainable investing. That to me is a tremendous amount of advisors. I mean, that's a, mm. a huge growth from three years ago when it was probably five to eight percent. So we are seeing advisors really pick up on this as a, a valuable tool in their toolkit.
0: So, let me interrupt you for just a second. Yeah. Can you give us any numbers? I, I mean, we're quoting percentages, but what does that look <laughs> like in terms of numbers of advisors? Uh, in your Sure.
1: It's, uh, it's around 35,000 advisors Terrific. on the Investnet yeah. platform that are engaging with sustainable investing. Awesome. Yeah. So, a, a huge number um, represents over 800,000 client accounts. I mean, this is a massive movement. Mm. And I think a lot of the, the growth and interest is being driven by what you mentioned, personalization. I mean, I always use the anecdote of going to a cocktail party, and I, I've never had anybody talk to me about the tracking error of their portfolio, <laughs> or the Sharpe ratio, or their sector allocation. But they talk to me about, oh, "I'm really, I'm investing in this really cool wind technology company," or, mm-hmm. you know, "We just, um, we built some affordable housing units in Nashville," or, you know, whatever the social environmental cause that they're really passionate about. That's what they want to talk about that's what they feel engaged on right and so we know that with all these new investment products out there there's more opportunity to build more customized portfolios There really is an unlimited number of these social and environmental causes that um, you, you can be passionate about that you can have personal conviction around uh, so the more product that's out there the more product of track record the more data that's being disclosed by companies, which I think we'll talk about in a little bit here, um, regulatory disclosures and things like that, the more information we have, the more technology we have, like platforms like InvestNet, the more customized we can make these portfolios. And what we're finding, Paul, I think this is really interesting, is that advisors who are using sustainable investing in their practices are growing substantially faster than their peers. Now we looked at the data that we have for Investnet. You know, we work with about 130,000 financial advisors, and we have a ton of data. What we found is that for the advisors that use sustainable investing strategies in their client portfolios, they're growing about 45 percent year over year. Mm. Versus the ones that are not using sustainable investing, they're growing at 31 percent.
0: That's a so huge that's still difference. good
1: growth, but it's a big difference.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, listen that that that's let's let's pursue this line of thought a little bit further uh, by talking about what investors on your platform are looking for uh, looking to accomplish by integrating esg and sustainable investment strategies you you gave a couple of examples from conversations that you've had Mm -hmm. but those weren't necessarily in in the business environment is it the same thing or people as connected to those social and environmental issues in their investment strategies as they are in their personal pursuit of of ideas and philosophy in life?
1: I think it's a a mix of everything. Um, I think it would be too easy to overgeneralize and say that investors are looking for one particular thing and advisors are looking for one particular thing when they incorporate ESG or sustainable or impact investing. I think the beauty of this is exactly the point about personalization. Mm. Um, I I really can try to address whether it's uh, social and environmental issues that I'm really passionate about, or just this fundamental belief that ESG, environmental social governance data, is financially material in constructing investment portfolios, that it reflects the way that companies um, need to adapt to a world that's changing. Uh, you know, we know that the valuations of companies are a lot more divorced from their earnings and sales and revenues than they ever were before. It's more about the intangibles, valuing goodwill and reputation and small things like data privacy. Um, all affect valuations of companies, and that's what's that's what's covered by ESG data. And so, just from a purely investment perspective, we're seeing a lot of advisors and investors who just want a more resilient. Uh, portfolio, and they they are finding that ESG is the mechanism by which you just have more information about companies. Now, the flip side is you've got the investors who want to invest to change the world, and they want to use their capital to drive certain social, environmental, economic uh, outcomes. And you know, oftentimes it's a mixture of those two things. Uh, Mm -hmm. investors realizing that ESG provides a good foundation, and then you can layer on some of these more thematic targeted investments on top of it. But it really comes in every position on that spectrum of of what investors are, are looking for. The other thing I'd say, I think this is really interesting, is that some of the reasons that these investors are engaging around sustainable investing is to draw in their younger generations, their kids and grandkids Hmm. into the financial planning discussion and to keep those younger investors engaged and understand what the legacy of this wealth is going to be as it's passed down to their generation. So we've definitely seen that as another reason why um, some of the older generations are, are really engaged here.
0: I think that's such an important point, Brett, that you're making uh, across the generations. Of this whole process is has really developed in a way that it allows senior members of a family, let's say, that might have a foundation or just uh, enough accumulated wealth to where there's no way they're going to spend it during their lifetimes. And they're, they're, they are inviting, as you said, the next generation members to begin the dialogue about how that wealth is going to transfer between them. And and I think that's a, a really solid building block for the growth of, of ESG investing over time as well. Now, we're talking right now in an environment where there's a really very deeply renewed focus on corporate reporting and government regulation uh, for around all of these types of issues. And how is the... ESG landscape shifting or changing during 22 as a result of this intense focus on reporting and regulation?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really important question. I also think there's this misconception that people in the sustainable investing industry don't want regulation, that it's just going to hamper the growth. Uh It's actually exactly the opposite. I mean, US which is our industry body, has been lobbying for ESG disclosure requirements, to standardization, Mm. going back to 2009. Mm -hmm. We've been asking for this for a long time. And so I think at the heart of it is we need transparency. We know that this data is financially material in portfolio construction. We know it provides to a a sense of both creating better portfolios, but also targeting some of these social and environmental outcomes. But we need more of this data and we need it to be standardized in a way that we can take it in, absorb it and comprehend it and and just make it more consistent and relative and relevant. Um, So we're seeing uh, regulatory pressure really coming from two different uh, areas. One is uh, the Department of Labor and the other is the SEC. Mm -hmm. Um, We're starting to see some consolidation of standards bodies like SASB, like the um, TCFD, the IFRS, our National Sustainability Standards Board. And I think uh, these international organizations, both US and and throughout the rest of the world, I think are coming to more of a consensus in terms of what standardization looks like. I don't think we'll ever get there. We do know that Europe has been ahead of us in terms of sustainability reporting. And I think we're going to see standardization or standards requirements, disclosure requirements, um, really starting first with climate and then moving on to things like human capital management and then cybersecurity. Those seem to be the areas that those those, uh, bodies are focused. But if you look at those two different bodies, the DOL and uh, the SEC, I mean, Gensler SEC is definitely more focused on this, but he's also super focused on crypto. And so we'll see if that prevents um, ESG from taking the spotlight in 2022. Mm -hmm. The DOL, uh, talking about ERISA and and employee employee retirement savings plans, um, it's been a complete 180 from some of the guidance they released a couple of years ago uh, in terms of whether you can use ESG in retirement savings plans, whether it can be a qualified um, default investment option, It's funny, the DOL regulations, um, or at least the proposed rules, the big thing there is that uh, you can't make financially non-material decisions. You can't introduce additional risk Mm. into an investment. And that really stayed consistent throughout the years, throughout um, both the the previous and current administration, which might be the only thing that they've ever agreed on, (laughs) but this idea that you can't introduce more risk into your investment process. And I think that that's what we're seeing with the new proposed rule is ESG, recognizing that it is financially material, does not introduce more risk and can therefore be accounted for in retirement plans.
0: So now we've got this growing regulatory environment. Mm -hmm. We've got financial consumers more focused all the time and across multiple generations in this type of, or this approach to analyzing how portfolios are put together and integrated. Now let's talk about the advisors again and how they can work with your firm or other firms in the industry to learn more about ESG integration, as well as to educate their clients regarding A, the risks of neglecting this long-term trend in the marketplace, and B, how to seize the opportunities to take advantage of it in their portfolio strategies?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, we are all trying to contribute towards shifting assets from what I think of as traditional investments to sustainable investments. InvestNet is a big part of that. Um, We do have a pretty big footprint. And so what we have been focused on is trying not to disrupt the way that advisors go about managing their business. Mm -hmm. What we want to avoid is having them have their traditional business managed here and their sustainable business managed on the other side. It's two different processes. So a big thing that you're seeing across wirehouses, across independent turnkey platforms like ours, is this idea that ESG is becoming mainstream. And so, the identification and diligencing of investment strategies that you know we recommend for client portfolios is starting to integrate ESG. Um, it's almost become table stakes now. Where if they're not integrating ESG, it's a, a red flag. Mm-hmm. Whereas before, it used to be additional disclosure requirements and more confusing for due diligence. Now it's it it's pretty fundamental to how we look at all strategies. So. Uh, InvestNet itself, I mean, what we've built out is technology that, it, that takes the advisor through the sustainable investing lifecycle, through the profiling of a client's social and environmental preferences, to the auditing of their existing portfolio to see if it's aligned, to you know, helping that advisor and investor build a more aligned portfolio, more aligned with whatever the, the values they want to see in that portfolio are. And then really comprehensive and consistent reporting ongoing to continue reinforcing that value proposition. This portfolio does accomplish my financial goals and my sustainable goals. And I think we're going to see that pretty much across the board in terms of asset management and wealth management firms of trying to look at those four different phases, the profiling, the audit, the building, and the reporting um, in an integrated way where you don't have to uh, adopt and learn entirely new technology systems. Mm. And we've been doing this for 14 years. We've had a, an SRI and then an impact now a sustainable investing platform. Um, we, we oversee about $45 billion of sustainable assets. We have, like I mentioned, around 430 different sustainable investment strategies on the platform. And so we think that that gives advisors a really good starting place in order to, uh, to educate their clients educate themselves
0: now I'll- i was just going to say brett we we wouldn't didn't plan to talk about this uh but we've got a couple more minutes here and mm-hmm. i'm just wondering the asset managers uh that work on your platform uh this process as you just suggested is something that they are starting to get more comfortable with and develop in internally and i was having uh, another conversation today where corporations are doing the same thing across their environment internally uh, across their supply chains etc so it seems like there's a lot of this work going on sort of uh, around the globe across the board in developed and developing markets and uh, just if you could just share uh, your thoughts with us on where you think uh, we're going to be in another year with this whole process
1: on another year, we're just going to continue to see emphasis and interest here. I mean, this is an exciting thing that's happening in the industry. Yes. But it's not often where big shifts um, are, are really global in their impact, both on the social and environmental side. Mm. And we're seeing it in wealth management, investment management. But like you mentioned, in companies across every, every sector, every industry, every geography, um, thinking about how to present themselves, how to change them, their their operations, their um, business to be more sustainable, to be more attractive to younger demographics, to take care of their communities better, to give back more. And you know, one year we'll see some adoption and, and change there, but three years from now, I mean, I think that's gonna be, it's gonna be table stakes for our industry.
0: Great. Well, I certainly hope you're right. And uh, let's keep moving it all in that direction. And thanks for spending the time with us today. Brett, where can investors and financial advisors who follow the Sustainable Finance Podcast learn more about InvestNet's ESG integration technology and support and how can they contact you about the topics that we've discussed on today's program?
1: Absolutely. So um, most of the information is available at investnet.com impact. Uh, we have a lot of our uh, thought leadership there, blog posts, uh, information on the technology and the investment solutions. You can reach my team at sustainable at investnet.com. Uh, we also, on that website, I should mention, we have an education curriculum that we developed in collaboration uh, with some mutual friends of ours, uh, Paul, uh, the Investment Integration Project.
0: Yes. Uh, Bill Burkhardt the- and his team. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I believe he's been a uh, a guest on your podcast before.
0: He has. He has.
1: And so these guys uh, do a really wonderful job of thinking about systems change and mm-hmm. sustainable investment. Um, mm-hmm. but these guides are really meant to walk through the what, the why, and the how of impact and sustainable investment. And so I think that's a great resource for, for your listeners.
0: Terrific. Well, listen thanks again for your time today brett wayman senior director of sustainable investing at investnet and to our listeners please join us again next week for another episode i'm paul ellis your host for the sustainable finance podcast